Good morning, America. Good afternoon, Eretz Yisrael. Welcome to all those joining us for Chaim Aran. Today we begin a new section in this Sefer. In some of the Sfarim, it's called Chelek Sheni, which is called Shivche Moharan, the praises of Rabbi Nachman. And this, this section parallels <coughs> to a degree some of the things that we have in Sichoi Saran, which has been translated into Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, but we're definitely going to hear a lot of new things in this section that we did not have, that you do not have in Rabbi Nachman's wisdom. <clears throat> and this, this part of the Sefer is very, very powerful. This is one of the things that many people that are introduced to Breslov, they read this and they struggle with it because they're not used to reading a description, a detailed description of a tzaddik. And some people wonder, why is Rabbi Nachman talking about himself so much? And why is he? And to make it perfectly clear, the reason why he's talking about himself is because if he didn't, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't know who he really is. We wouldn't know the scope of what a tzaddik is all about. A person learns Chumash, in this, t yesterday in America, we read Parshas Bahaloischa, and we read a Pasuk where Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the words that Moshe Rabbeinu is the most humble, modest person in the entire earth. Now, some people will read that and, and, and laugh and say, <laughs> How, how modest could it be if he, if he wrote that, if he said he's so modest? And the answer is, I'll tell you how, how, how honest it could be. It's in the Torah, so it's 100% pure truth. And Rabbi Nassau, Rabbi Nachman teaches us that the highest level of humility is when a person could actually say about themselves that they're humble and mean it, and it should be 100% accurate. And even after they're saying those words, the words are 100% true. That didn't make them arrogant at all. That didn't make them feel big at all. They were just expressing a truth. And the reason why they're expressing it is because we need to know. We need to know who we're dealing with. Because one of the most important items in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, is the tzaddik, the aspect of the tzaddik, his role, in, in all of our connecting to Hashem. <clears throat> and unless the tzaddik really informs us and gives us a little bit of an insight as to what a tzaddik is all about, people could take it less seriously and really think, okay, it might be a little important and important, but how important really it is. And by learning a little bit, by Rabbi Nassau opening the curtain a little bit and giving us a glimpse as to who he is, and how he got to where he got to, number one, it could inspire us a little bit to realize what our mission statement in the world is. He's not saying this is what I did and, and, and I'm different from everybody else. Rabbi Nazar makes it perfectly clear that in most items, we're going to see one item that we'll mention today that Rabbi Nazar said regarding this item, don't copy me. But everything else, Rabbi Nazar wanted us to emulate him on our level, each and every one of us on our level. So we'll begin. Rav Nassenthal writes that Rav Naftali, my close friend Rav Naftali, told me 
that he heard from Rabbeinazal that Rabbeinazal once said, it's very good for a person, a religious person, to have <clears throat> a horse or horses so that whenever they want, they could go with a group of young men into a forest and there speak about Hashem, speak about coming close to Hashem, respect for Hashem, and have his spoiledus be able to spread out in the forest and be able to speak to Hashem among the trees, among the vegetation, because in a field or in a, in a forest, it's very, very, very good. And, and it helps the person tremendously in having his spoiledus, in being able to have this private, deep, deep level connection to Hashem in prayer, in personal prayer. Now we know Rabbi Nezal speaks about this in Likute Maran. <clears throat> we know the Torah tells us about Yitzchak Avinu, one of the forefathers of the Jewish people. It says clearly, Yitzchak Losuach Basodeh. Yitzchak went out to speak in the field, to speak to Hashem. And Rabbi Nezal points out on Likute Maran that the first letters of those four words, Vayetze Yitzchok Losuach Basode, spell the word Yivul. Yivul means product or produce. In the Kriyashma, we speak about the earth giving forth its produce, its product. The earth meaning the fields, the grasses, the vegetation giving forth its product. And Rabbi Nezal says there on the Kutimran that one of the most important products <clears throat> that the grass and the flowers and the trees and the vegetation produce is their prayer to Hashem. They speak to Hashem in their language, the language of the trees, the language of the grass, the blades of grass, they speak. And Rabbi Nezal said that Sadiqim are able to hear, to listen, to hear the prayers of each and every blade of grass and each and every flower and each and every tree. And he said that it's very, very good for a person to go out, especially in the spring, in the summer, when the vegetation is starting to grow, to speak to Hashem among all of this vegetation. When a person's prayer goes up to Hashem together with their prayers, it's like a symphony going up to Hashem. It's very, very special. And Rabbi Nezal speaks about this in several places. Rabbi Nezal speaks about this also in Likuti Alochis, the incredible benefits of a person speaking Tashem there. It's interesting to note that the Breslavers that lived in Ukraine, in Poland, places like that, where there are forests and fields, the Breslavers were known to take advantage of this, to go out into the forests and fields at night during the day in order to speak Tashem where it's quiet, where it's totally quiet, far away from, from all the noise, the common noise of civilization. Rabbi Nezal said even to try to find a place that people don't go during the day in order for a person to achieve a certain very deep connection with Hashem in this personal prayer. And Baruch Hashem today in Eretz Yisrael, there are, there's, there are Breslov organizations that organize cars during the day, at night, of people who go out into the forest, into the fields, to have his spiritus, to speak to Hashem in these places. 
And Baruch Hashem, today there are youth groups in Breslov that are organized of hundreds, possibly a total of a few thousand boys from all ages, from young age, teenagers that get together Thursday nights, Motzei Shabbos, Malach HaMalka, so different times during Bein Hasmanim when the yeshivas are off. During the month of Nisan, during the month of Tishrei, they have organized groups of boys that learn together and boys that go out to the forest, go out to the fields together at night, at Chatzois, at midnight, for Hispoiridus, or sometimes they'll organize a Shabbos. And again, out in the country, in the mountains, in the fields, in places like that, where everybody realizes that there's a certain kind of connection to Hashem that a person can experience in those places that you can't get any other place. I was speaking to somebody recently, a close friend in Yerushalayim, who was going to be going to Switzerland for several weeks during the summer. And even though he loves Eretz Yisrael, he loves Yerushalayim, but he said being looking at those Swiss Alps and looking at the rivers and the, all the, the, the nature there, it, it's so uplifting. It's such a, a, a certain deep connection to Hashem that I, he experiences only over there. And again, Rabbi Nezal was aware of this. Rabbi Nezal was aware that this is what Avram Yitzchak Yaakov did. This is what other tzaddikim did throughout the generations. And Rabbi Nezal taught us that this is something that we could benefit from in an incredible way. This doesn't mean that if a person does not have access to a forest or a field, they're stuck. Hispoiridus is something that a person could do anywhere, anytime. A person has a garden in back of their house or in front of their house. And even if a person doesn't, in a private room, David Amelf did it under the covers in his bedroom, anywhere. But these are some of the benefits that we're being told about this type of a place. And Rabbi Nezal said that when he was a child, he would often take a horse. This is not a child. After he got married, Rabbi Nezal got married at the age of 13, which was common in those days. And he would take, he, he lived the first part of the marriage. He lived in the home of his in-laws. And he said he would take a horse and go out into a forest and then get off the horse and tie the horse to a tree. And then he would go further into the forest to do to do his thing and to spend quality time alone with Hashem in the forest. And Rabbi Nezal said there were several times that the horse untied itself, it got impatient, didn't want to wait around and ran back to, to, to the house of his father-in-law. And when they saw that the horse returned and he didn't, they were very worried. They thought, who knows, maybe he fell off the horse. And there were times Rabbi Nezal said that when there was a tremendous downpour of rain when he was in the forest, you would think Rabbi Nezal was so great at Sadiq, Hashem made sure it shouldn't rain. No, Rabbi Nezal experienced downpour of rain sometimes. And then he'd come back during the nighttime, uh, early night or late night. And, and he wasn't, this didn't bother him. It, it, it didn't, he didn't take this as any wrong sign or anything. He knew that this was part of his coming close to Hashem. And Rav Nassau writes, I heard clearly from Rav Nassau's mouth several times that he emphasized that everything depends on how much effort and struggle a person is willing to put in to come close to Hashem.
meaning it wasn't a magical potion. It wasn't he said certain magic words and the Torah fell into his mind or he, he got close to Hashem. It required tremendous effort, hours and hours of tefillah. And sometimes when the words flowed and sometimes when the words didn't flow, sometimes when he felt good doing it, sometimes when he felt nothing. But Rabbi Nassau said that the most important thing is the yegiyah and the avoida, a person's willingness to struggle, to work hard in order to come close to Hashem. And Rabbi Nassau said through this, anybody, anybody can achieve very high levels of connection to Hashem. Rabbi Nassau also said, I have the ability to make you into a guter yid, into a, a tzaddik like myself, literally like me. And this is an incredible, important statement in terms of our knowing what the tzaddik is capable of doing for us. There are many people who read stories about tzaddikim. He went, he got to there, this high level, this high level, but it has nothing to do with me. Rabbi Nassau made it perfectly clear that if a person will study his sparring, if a person will try to make a genuine effort to follow the advice and guidance of Rabbi Nassau, the person will get to levels that they never imagined they could get to in terms of closeness to Hashem, in terms of recognition of Hashem, and again, to be to become part of the tzaddik. The next paragraph in this section, paragraph base, Rav Nassau says, I heard from someone who had heard from Rav where Rav spoke to him and told him about the kedusha, about the holiness that he strived for as a child. And he said that when he was a young child, he wanted desperately to be religious, to be very religious, to be a Yerei Shamayim. And he wanted very much, he had heard about Shabbos, that Shabbos, the six days of the week are ordinary. Shabbos is called Shabbos Kodesh, Shabbos is holiness. And he wanted desperately to be part of that holiness, to be able to experience and absorb and connect to that holiness. So he would go to the mikveh on Friday, right after midday. He wouldn't wait that the first opportunity to be able to prepare for Shabbos. Friday, immediately after Chatzoy Siyoyim, he would go quickly to the mikveh and toivel quickly <clears throat> and then come out of there and go to his house and get dressed in Shabbos clothes. At that time, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Shabbos and go to the base medrash and he'd be walking back and forth, back and forth, like a person with tremendous yearning and longing, wanting to, 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 to attach himself to Hashem. And he wanted desperately to draw upon himself the holiness of Shabbos, that neshama yaseira, that additional neshama that the Gemara tells us, a person who observes Shabbos receives on Shabbos. And he wanted desperately to see something. He wanted to see some kind of a, a display of the holiness. And, he, and he, he couldn't see. And he had tremendous yearning and longing. And he said people started coming into shul slowly. People who like to come early to say, to recite the Shnaya Mikra the Parsha of the Week that they went over, to say Shira Shirim, other things. 
And one of the important people in the shul came in and he stood near his stender. A stender means a type of a, a wooden structure that a person keeps their sitter on and they can keep books inside of it. <clears throat> and this person started to recite Shira Shirim slowly. There's a custom based on the Zohar Kodesh. The Zohar Kodesh says that on Friday afternoon, it's very, very special for a person to recite Shira Shirim. And the Zohar Kodesh gives a calculation showing that if a person davens with a minion during the week, and they answer Amen Yeheshmei Rabbah for all of the different Kaddishes that are said at Shachris Minchen Marev. There are 168 hours in the week. And the Gemara says that each Kaddish can deduct Shata Upalga one and a half hours of Gehenim, of potential Gehenim. And I believe the, the, the calculation comes out that it brings it down to 117. From 168, down to 117. And the Zohar Kodesh says that a person who recites the 117 sentences of Shira Shirim on Erev Shabbos, this removes the possibility of those 117 hours, Chas V'Shalom, of Gehenim. So this is a very holy custom. I remember my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, I watched him many, I had the privilege of taking him and going with him sometimes to the mikvah on Erev Shabbos. And as soon as he came out of the mikvah, right away, one of the first things was Shira Shirim, to recite Shira Shirim. Some people, the Sfardim, sometimes they do it in shul, before Mincha or between Mincha and Kabbalah Shabbos, the special Shira Shirim of Erev Shabbos. So this Chosha person came into the shul and stood next to his stender and started saying Shira Shirim. Rabbeinazal was a child at the time, about six years old, and he would go, because he was a little child, people didn't, didn't, didn't look so much at what he was doing. He would go and stand in between this person and the stender and put his head inside the stender in the place where sometimes books were kept. He could hide his head inside, and he started crying. And he cried a lot for hours until until the evening, until Kabbalah Shabbos, to the point where his eyes became swollen from crying so hard. And then he would open crying, pleading, wanting desperately to feel Hashem's presence, to feel the holiness of Shabbos. And then he opened his eyes and it looked to him as if he was seeing some heavenly light because they had already lit the candles in the shul. Remember in those days, there, were no, there was no electricity. We're talking about the late set, the 1700s. So they would light candle, these candles in the shul. And he saw those candles. And because his eyes had been closed for so long, crying with these tears, when he opened his eyes and he saw the candles, it looked like a bright light, like a heavenly light. <clears throat> and then he felt better. He felt like he had accomplished, mission accomplished, that he was there to cry so hard till Hashem revealed this divine light to him. Again, this was as a child of six years old. We'll do one more paragraph and then we'll take questions. A short paragraph. Paragraph Gimel. Rabbi Nezal said, I used to plead with Hashem and pray to Hashem that Hashem should give me a test. Hashem should test me 
because I was so positive and so confident that unless, unless Hashem would make me lose my mind completely, unless I would become totally crazy, that it would be impossible for me to fail a test of showing loyalty to Hashem. And, and I wasn't afraid of encountering any kind of test. The next paragraph, paragraph Dalid, Rabbein Azal said, this is connected. So <clears throat> Rabbein Azal said, if not for the fact that the Gemara says specifically in Kiddushin, page 30, that a person is not allowed to say, I spit in the eye of the Satan. And the Gemara tells, or, or an arrow, I shoot an arrow in the eye of the Satan, which the Gemara says there were some rabbis that felt very confident. We're talking about rabbis of the Gemara, rabbis a few thousand years ago, where the Gemara says each one of these rabbis was able to bring a dead person back to life. They were on that level. And yet when they said these words, Gira Be'ena de Sitna, an arrow in the eye of the Satan, the Satan immediately gave them a, an extremely difficult test, which they almost failed. And the Gemara says, the Satan said to them, I'm warning you, were it not for the fact that Hashem said, I shouldn't hurt you. I just wanted to show you that if I wanted to, if I wanted to really test you, you wouldn't be able to pay. You, you would have tremendous difficulty passing the test. So the Gemara says, therefore, a person should not say that. Rabbi Nassau said, were it not for the fact that the Gemara said that, I would say, Gira Be'ina de Sitna because that's how confident he felt. And Rabbi Nezal said, I, I, I can't understand these stories that the Gemara says about these Tanoim and Amoiroim who, who were tested and found it difficult in certain tests. They were given certain incredible difficult tests, especially in the area of women, the relationship with women that even these great Sadiqim found difficult. And Rabbi Nezal said, I, I find it difficult to understand what the difficulty was. Because to me, this is nothing, nothing, nothing at all. I don't consider this a test. <clears throat> and Rabbi Nezal said, obviously, there is some deep, deep secret regarding the fact that the Torah says that this is one of the tests that a Jew, even Sadiqim, have in this world. But Rabbi Nezal said, in reality, in my reality, this is not a test at all. And Rabbi Nezal writes, and Rabbi Nezal went on to say, a person who has an idea about the greatness of Hashem, about how great Hashem really is, as Dovin Amel says in Tehillim, chapter 135, I know how great Hashem really is. A person who, who has that level, to that person, this is not a test at, at all. And Rabbi Nezal said, to me, there is no difference at all whatsoever between a man and a woman. I look at this, <clears throat> I look at this taiva like I'm looking at you, he said to one of his students. And Rabbi Nezal said, I had many, many tests in this area. However, it's not a test at all. However, 
during the time that I was being tested, this is obviously when he was young, very young, Rabbein Azal said, I did have many tests in this area. Any questions? A question in the chat, <clears throat> how much effort the person is willing to expend to come close to Hashem depends on their desire. Maybe it's only great tzaddikim that are capable of such a great level of desire, and so an ordinary person can't reach what they can reach. The answer is Rabbi Nezal wants to make it perfectly clear to each and every one of us not to use that can't word, not can't, can, 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 can. I can get to levels of desire that I never imagined I would be able to. Rabbi Nezal wants to make this perfectly clear to each and every one of us. And we find those that read the biography of Rabbi Nezal and, and his students, other, other students, can see that there were times, there are times that we can experience this deep yearning and longing for Hashem, a level of desire that a person would never imagine that they could feel that for Ruchnius, for spirituality, for, for, for Kedusha, for holiness. But Rabbi Nezal is making it perfectly clear for us to know that this is accessible and we are required to go for it, to try to reach this, to daven for this, to want this, and to keep ratcheting up our desire. This desire is not something that's stationary. Desire is something that a person, just like when a person wants anything, when you get a child who wants a bicycle or a car or something like that, and you see that the more time goes by that they don't have it, their desire doesn't stay static. It becomes more intense, more intense, where they can't sleep at night. They can't eat. Because I, I have to have this, that kind of feeling. So it's definitely possible for us to try to yearn, to pray, and to study, and to go to mikvah, to do all the mitzvahs that we need to ratch up our desire our, our desire, our taiva for, for Hashem, for Kedusha, for all the right things. Anyone else? The next paragraph, paragraph Hay, <clears throat> regarding overcoming all of the materialistic desires <clears throat> and all types of negative character traits which Rabbi Nezal said that he was to achieve this completely, to get rid of completely being controlled in any way whatsoever by materialistic desires, whether it's money, whether it's food, whether it's women, whether it's sleep, whether it's <coughs> kavod, honor, and, and all types of negative character traits, arrogance, anger, Mis misly, miseriness, all kinds. Rabbi Nezal said there are, there are tzaddikim who have succeeded in this. They've succeeded in overcoming these desires. However, he said it could be compared to an animal hide, which when they try to tan an animal hide, they work on it, they work on the leather and work on it and work on it. And they, they to, to a point 
where the leather loses some of that foul odor that it has, the animal hide when it first comes off the animal, but it still has a little bit of a foul smell. And so too, there are tzaddikim who succeed to a degree in overcoming these taivos, but there still is some of it. They haven't succeeded in getting rid of it completely. These taivos are still attached to them a little bit. But Rabbi Nezal said, a person has to strive to purify their body from all of these desires, like a person works on, on tanning a hide, an animal hide, and turn it over, turn it around completely to, to be able to remove from it completely any iota of any of this foul odor. And to be able for a person to, to work on their body to get it to such a point where a person could examine the body from every aspect, outside in, inside out, and see that the person is totally clean from any of these taivois roys and midois roys, not to have any trace of it. And Rabbi Nezal said that he was to succeed in this, to be able to remove completely any iota of a midara and a taiva. And, and Rabbi Nezal adds, this all he accomplished in his youth before he started going to incredible high levels of depth in secrets of Torah, in great hasagas, high levels of understanding of Hashem. And this was all way before Rabbi Nezal made his trip to Eretz Yisroel, which I believe was during his early 20s. And after that, Rabbi Nezal was, was succeeded in continuing to climb from level to level within holiness and to achieve the incredible level things that we cannot put into words at all whatsoever. Again, there are people that read this or hear this and they have a problem with this. That isn't this, the answer is, it's not, there's nothing. This is all information that a person who wants to come close to Hashem, who wants to come close, to, who, who wants to know, why do I need the tzaddik? The person has to know what a real tzaddik is all about. Today, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of books that have been written about gedolim, great people, great rabbis, and many of these books describe stories about a chesed that this rabbi did, where this rabbi learned for so many hours, all kinds of beautiful things, important things, nice things. Rav Nassenzal gives us an insight regarding Rav Enazal, the little bit that Rav Enazal revealed, that Rav Enazal showed, for us to get an idea what this term tzaddik, what tzaddik gomor really is all about. We find that in chapter 8 in Likut Imran, there, Rabbi Nezal goes into this topic at length, and Rabbi Nezal quotes the Gemara, where the Gemara warns. The Gemara says that even a tzaddik has to be extremely careful about challenging a Russia, <coughs> because there are times that a Russia has success. He achieves success, and he has power, and if somebody tries to challenge him at such a moment, even though the person that's challenging the Russia is a much better person, 
doesn't mean anything. If the Russia is on his high, if he's at a time when he's experiencing success, the, the Russia can swallow, that's the expression of Torah, can swallow even a tzaddik. However, however, the Pasuk says, Tacharish kevala Russia tzaddik mimenu. Be silent, be careful when the Russia swallows one who is more righteous than him, one who is more religious than him. And the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Tzadik mimenu boilea, Tzadik gomor eno boilea. One who is more righteous than him, one who is more religious than him, a Russia, when he's at his high, can swallow him. But a Tzadik gomor, one who is a complete Tzadik, him, the Russia, cannot swallow, no matter how powerful he is, no matter how great he is. And we know we have several examples of this, of this in the Torah. One of the most obvious cases is the case of Haman Harosha. Haman, the Torah tells us, is a descendant of Amalek. Amalek is the most dangerous and difficult adversary of Klal Yisrael. The Torah defines Amalek as racist Goyim Amalek. He is the leader, the king of all 70 nations. And Rabbi Nezal actually writes that all of the diverse evil that's found in all the different 70 nations, Amalek is a composite of all of that put together. Haman was a descendant of Amalek, and the Torah tells us <coughs> that Haman started out being a member of cabinet of Achashverosh. Achashverosh at that time ruled over 127 countries. The Gemara says he was he ruled the world. He ruled the world. And Haman was a member of his cabinet, of his closest officers. But then, after Vashti was killed, the Torah says, the, the Miguel says, Achar hadvorim gidal Haman. It wasn't enough that Haman was just a member of cabinet. Achashverosh elevated him to be second to the king, where the Pesach says, V'chol hamelech, all the servants of the king, would bow to Haman because the king insisted on this. The king insisted that everyone bow down, actually bow down to, to Haman. Imagine what we're talking about. And yet the Megillah says that there was one Sadiq who wouldn't bow, wouldn't bow at all. And we find in the story of Purim that these two engage each other and Mordechai succeeds 100%. The combination of Mordechai and Esther succeed bringing about the downfall of Haman and his 10 sons who represent the 10 levels of, of, of the 10 crowns of Tuma, the 10 spheroids of Tuma. Haman is hung, his 10 sons are hung, all of Haman's wealth is transferred to Mordechai, <clears throat> and the ring that Achashverosh had given to Haman is given back to Mordechai. And not only that, but all the, the thousands of non-Jews who converted at that time, who came, not only wasn't the Jewish nation wiped out, the plan was <laughs> that Haman and Achashverosh agreed together 
to try to accomplish this feat to annihilate the Jewish people totally once and for all. And we're told not only didn't that happen, but rather that many, many non-Jews converted to Judaism at that time because the fear and respect for the Jewish people struck them. So we see this is one example of a tzaddik gomor, Mordechai. The Arizal reveals that the, the name Mordechai has the numerical value of Rav Chesed, <clears throat> one of the 13 attributes of Hashem, which refers to one of the highest, highest levels of holiness that Mordechai HaTzadik was able to tap into, to connect in order to bring about a complete downfall for Haman and, and his, his family to the point where we today, thousands of years later, we celebrate Purim is considered to be one of the, one of the greatest holidays of the year for the Jewish people because of the great success of this Tzadik Gomor, Mordechai, versus the leader, the leader of the opposing forces, Haman Arosha. Any questions? Now comes the statement that I, I touched on earlier in the beginning of this year, where Rabbi Nezal said <clears throat> that there are certain things that you see me doing, which you don't have to learn from. Meaning, even though looking at me, it could look to you as if I'm unhappy. And Rabbi Nezal used the word atzvus, that I'm depressed. That you don't have to learn from me at all, but rather I want you to always be happy. And Rabbi Nizal added, do you copy everything else that I do? So those people who, to whom they saw Rabbi Nizal had a serious face that Rabbi Nizal wasn't usually smiling, that you want to copy. What about all the other things that I do that, that you don't copy? And Rabbi Nizal said very clearly that truthfully, I am happy. I am always happy. It's only because my job is to clear a path in places of complete darkness, complete wilderness. And I have to clear out a path there. And I have to chop down trees and branches and all kinds of things that are blocking, blocking me from being able to clear that path. And some of these trees have been there for thousands. Some of these obstacles have been there for thousands of years. And I have to go back and forth. Rabbi Nezal was implying this is a very difficult job to clear a path for Kalal Yisrael to be able to go, to go through so that many would be able to walk this path because of the fact that this takes so much incredible effort. Therefore, I'm in this state of of concern, I'm in a state of concern, of worry, a certain type of worry. But Rabbi Nezal said, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoizal, also, this was also his mission of clearing a path. Rabbi Nezal added now, paragraph Zion, and Rabbi Nezal writes, that we heard also from Rabbi Nezal, that because he is a descendant of David Amelech, 
we know that Rabbein Azal was a great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov had a Sefer Yichus going all the way back to Dover HaMelech. Therefore, those people that come from the family of Dover HaMelech, very often you see that they have a broken heart, and they don't show laughter, they don't show a happy face on the outside. Because Dover HaMelech is the one who established the Sefer Tehillim, and the Sefer Tehillim is all an expression of David HaMelech pouring out his broken heart to Hashem. And, and all of his words there are screams and pleadings and to Hashem in this state of broken heart. Therefore, that's why the descendants of David HaMelech also generally have this broken heart not to be confused at all with depression or sadness. Broken heart means a certain feeling of humility, a certain type of attitude where the person isn't laughing on the outside. They're not showing a happy expression, facial expression. And Rabbi Nassau mentioned that his uncle, Reboruch, the Rebbe Reboruch Meshebush, also was known that he didn't smile and people didn't see an outward expression of joy and happiness, but rather this attitude of lev nishbar, broken heart. But, but Rabbein Azal warned us that in this, he didn't want us to copy him. That as far as we are concerned, we are supposed to always be besimcha, tremendous simcha, and we're allowed to smile. We're supposed to smile at each other and to be able to, to, to really have to, to put tremendous emphasis on this simcha. Rabbein Azal said that when the, the time that a person has his spiritus, if a person has up to an hour a day of his spiritus, during that time, a person is allowed, permitted to enter into Lev Nishbor, into the status of broken heart. But the rest of the day, there is no permission for us at all to be in that state of, Rabbi Nezal said, only simcha, mitzvah gedoyla, liyos besimcha tomid. And we've explained in the past the difference between lev nishbor and atzvus. Atzvus means depression. Atzvus goes together with anger, negativity, pessimism, hopelessness. That's atzvus. Lev nishbor is a feeling of humility. Humility lacking. I, um, there's many things that are I'm missing in my life. There are many things that I'm doing wrong, and I'm far from Hashem, but with a, an optimism, with a positive attitude, that with all the bad things and wrong things, there's a lot more good things going on in my life. And all the wrong things and all the bad things, everything can and will be corrected. Everything can be fixed and, and will be fixed this tremendous, positive, optimistic attitude. Any questions? Rabbi Nassau said that as a child, when he would eat a meal, afterwards, he would praise Hashem in his own words, in Yiddish, which was the language that was most common in Ukraine at that time for him, over every detail of a meal. So he, wasn't, he, he wouldn't satisfy himself with the birkas hamazayim that, that all Jews say. 
but rather in addition to the Birka Samozim, he would go through a whole speech with Hashem, thanking Hashem for every iota, every meal that he had during the day. For example, if, they, if he had a cookie and he had a, a little bit of, of, of vodka or whiskey that in Ukraine in those days in the winter they had, he, and then afterwards a radish, he had, had a, a radish that was eaten as an appetizer before the meal, and so to every detail in the meal, he would speak to Hashem in Yiddish, thanking Hashem for every single specific detail that was part of the meal. We know that th this is a question that I'm asked at times <clears throat> in terms of how much detail a person should go into in tefillah. And one of the sources for this is the Zohar Kodesh. The Zohar Kodesh says that when Yaakov Avinu was expecting his brother Esau to be coming to, to kill him with his army, <clears throat> it says there the Torah writes the, the Hispoidus, the personal tefillah of Yaakov Avinu Tashem. And it says there that Yaakov Avinu said, no miad ochi miad Hashem, please save me from my brother, from Esau, because I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid he's going to come and destroy me, the mothers and the children. <clears throat> and, and you, Hashem, promised me that you're going to... The, the Torah goes into the whole detail of... And the Zohar Kodesh asks, he said, my brother. What? He didn't have any other brothers. So why did he have to say, my brother, Esau? The Zohar Kodesh says, because sometimes a person will refer to a relative as a brother, even a cousin or a, a co my brother. So it wasn't enough to say Ochi, he had to say Esau. And the Zohar Kodesh says that from here we see the incredible importance of detail in tefillah. That when a person is speaking to Hashem, not because Hashem doesn't know, but rather in order for us to prepare a proper vessel into which to receive the blessing from Hashem, to receive the response from Hashem, <clears throat> the more detail a person goes into in the tefillah, the more real it is, the more Hashem sees how sincere, how much the person really realizes the value of every single word that I get to speak to Hashem. Now here, I believe this is Reb Nachman Chirin, the student of Reb Nachman Zal, who writes that I heard that once, one time, Reb Nachman's mother, Fega, was pressuring Reb Nachman and she said to him that people are praising you and saying all kinds of great things about you. Tell me what level, what level you've achieved in coming close to Hashem. Rabbeinu Zal said to her, what can I tell you? I am a true Sor Meirah. I am a person who has really succeeded in turning away completely <clears throat> from evil. And he writes, I also heard from Rav Naftali Zal <clears throat> that, that, that one time Rabbeinu Zal's mother pleaded with him why don't, you, why don't you push yourself to eat a little bit? What are you going to, you have to live. And Rabbi Nezal said to her, <clears throat> now I'm living with what Shlomo Amela says in Koheles, 
that wisdom, divine wisdom, gives life to the one who acquires it. And Rabbi Nassau said, there are people, students of mine, <clears throat> that have knowledge, deep knowledge of Hashem and Torah, whereby they can live off that knowledge without having to eat or drink just about at all. The most minimal, minimal, minimal amount of food and drink, the, the Torah, the knowledge, the recognition of Hashem that they have is on such a high level that they can get away with the barest, barest minimum of eating and drinking. The next paragraph, paragraph Yud. <clears throat> Again, I believe Reb Nachman Shirin writes, I heard from Reb Nassazal <clears throat> that after Reb Nassazal gave the shear in Likut Imran, chapter 206, <clears throat> which is based on the last Pasuk in chapter 119 of Tehillim. That chapter of Tehillim goes according to the Aleph Bays. There are eight lines for each letter of the Aleph Bays. And the last line, I believe it's the last line in that entire chapter, Dovid HaMelech says, To'isi kise oiveid. I've wandered away, I've drifted away <clears throat> like a sheep that gets lost from its flock. Bakesh avdecho, Hashem, please search for me, seek me out. Because I haven't forgotten your mitzvahs completely. <clears throat> that Rabbi Nassau said that this is my hispoidus now. This is what I say to Hashem in my own personal prayer. And Rabbi Nassau says, take a look at the incredible humility and simplicity of Rabbi Nassau throughout his whole life that even though he got to the levels that he got to, when it came to speaking to Hashem, he would speak to Hashem with this level of simplicity, like a lost soul. And he writes, I heard also that one time, one of the young men, a teenager, approached Rabbi Nezal and asked him, please show me, how do I speak to Hashem? How do I speak to Hashem in my own words? And Rabbi Nassau taught him <clears throat> to say, Hashem, please have pity on me. The, the, do you want me to spend my whole life with nonsense, with foolishness? Is that what I was created for? <clears throat> and then a short while later, this young man was standing outside the room where Rabbi Nassau was. And he heard Rabbi Nassau having his spiritus speaking to Hashem and saying the same exact words. Rabbi Nezal was talking to Hashem in this same time. Hashem, do you want me my whole life to be a waste? You didn't put me in this world just to do nothing. You certainly want me to accomplish something. That level of simplicity, of humility in, in Rabbi Nezal's attitude in his tefillah to Hashem. Any questions? Paragraph Yudalif. Again, he writes, I heard <clears throat> that one time one of Rabbeinazal's followers was complaining to Rabbeinazal about his lack of parnosa. 
And Rabbein Asal said to him, <clears throat> I can't understand how you have a heart <clears throat> to bother me with this kind of nonsense. <clears throat> Rabbein Asal said, I'm like a person who's going day and night, traveling day and night in the wilderness <clears throat> and trying to turn the wilderness into a place of civilization. Because each and every one of you, <clears throat> your heart is like a wilderness. And, and there's no room, there's no place for the divine spirit of, of Hashem to enter into your heart, the Shekhinah to enter into your heart. How much effort does it take for a person to take a tree, like an oak tree, for example, <clears throat> that's this thick hardwood, and to be able to turn it, to take this oak and make <clears throat> kalim out of it, make vessels out of it. How much work does it take to chop the wood and to sand it and to carve it and to do in order to be able to take this lump of wood, this thick lump of wood and turn it into something usable? And that's the kind of struggle that I have with each and every single one of you <clears throat> in order to accomplish some kind of a tikkun, <clears throat> in order to be able to prepare you, to be able to receive the Shekhinah. And you're bothering me with this kind of nonsense? We know that uh, most people today, most people, if you ask them, what's, what's on your mind? If you have a chance to get a bracha from a tzaddik, what bracha are you looking for? Parnasa, 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 parnasa. That's the most important thing in most people's lives. And here Rabbi Nassau taught his students that there are things that are bigger than parnasa. <clears throat> Even though it's important to note, I remember I heard from one of my rabbis, Rabbi Yechaim Rosen, this is going back 50 years or so, that he said that in these Zmiras that we sing on Shabbos morning, one of the famous Zmiras is Yom Zemechubad. And in that Smiris, one of the lines there is, that there are two things that are called lechem, which could even break a tomim, a person who is pure, sincere, wholesome in their connection to Hashem. The regular, the ordinary translation of those words is that sincere religious people break bread. They break bread on two loaves of bread during each one of the meals of Shabbos. That's the simple translation. But a spin on it is that there are two things called lechem, lechem, which yivtsu, which can break even a tomim. What are these two things? Lechem is parnasa. Throughout the Torah, we find the word lechem is a, an umbrella term used to refer to parnasa. And lechem also means a zivu, a wife. The Pesach says about Yosef HaTzadik that Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his house. Other than the bread which Potiphar himself ate. And the Gemara says this is, the, didn't, the Torah didn't want to write his wife. It wouldn't be so nice to, so it means the bread that he eats referring to his wife. <laughs> and Rabbi Yechaim was saying that these two things when they're not in good order, can break even a tomim, which means that these two things are important, 
And a person needs to devote tefillah and effort to see to it that these two things should be in order. But here again, Rabbeinazal with his students, in those days, it wasn't like today, we have telephones where a tzaddik is access, much more accessible in some ways. Rabbeinazal knew that the time that his students were able to connect with him <clears throat> was limited. And he felt he wanted to convey to this student that in the short period of time that you have to, to engage me, try to use that time to take yourself to a higher place, to elevate your neshama, to get the food that your neshama needs in order for you to be able to get to a much better place in your relationship with Hashem. One more paragraph. <clears throat> Rabbi Nachman Shirin writes that I heard that the avoida and the holiness and the awe that was on Rabbi Nassau's face on Friday night, <clears throat> especially during his youth, was something incredible. And there was once a time that Rabbi Nassau washed his hands and made the moitzi Friday night for the meal. And the other people that were joining him for the meal also washed and ate the challah, the bread. <clears throat> and then as soon as Rabbi Nassau finished eating the, the moitzi, he started thinking some kind of incredible deep thoughts and connected himself to Hashem with an incredible dveikus, a deep, deep spiritual connection to Hashem and with tremendous yira. And he sat silently with his eyes open with this deep connection to Hashem for the entire night. And they were afraid to bring any food to the table. They were afraid to to disturb him in any way. And then it started getting light outside. And they said, and they benched and they left the table. And now one final item for today's year. <clears throat> this was again during Rabbeinazal's youth. We're talking about maybe in his teenage years that his brother Rabbi Chiel came to him to spend Shabbos with him. <clears throat> and he saw how Rabbi Nezal conducted himself on Friday night, and he enjoyed it very much. Then during the morning meal, people were talking to Rabbi Nezal about things that were not related to Torah in any way, ordinary conversation, ordinary small talk that we would say. And, and this bothered Rabbi Echiel a lot, <clears throat> that this is a Shabbos table, this is what goes on at your Shabbos table, Rabbi Nezal's Shabbos table. And therefore, when Shabbos was over, on Moitzoy Shabbos, he went into Rabbi Nezal and he spoke to him about how this troubled him, what he saw on Shabbos morning. Rabbi Nezal said to him, do you remember every one of the different stories that people said in the morning, Shabbos morning? And he said, I, I don't remember all of them. Rabbi Nezal said, I do remember all of them. And Rabbi Nezal went and locked the door to his room. And he started speaking to his brother, Rabbi Echiel, and going through each one of the stories, different things that people mentioned that seemed to be ordinary small talk. And yet Rabbi Nezal, in listening to what they were saying, Rabbi Nezal was able to understand incredible, incredible things about Hashem. And he spoke to his brother until several, for several hours. 
till, till daylight and the, the windows were closed. And then afterwards they took a look at the clock and they saw that it was Man Kriyashma already, which means this discussion had gone on for hours. So they stopped and Rabbi Chia left. And when he left Rabbeinazal, he was crying and crying with a cr- tremendous deep yearning and longing for Hashem to the point where several days went by where he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep. He was in such a deep, deep level of devotion to Hashem. He just sat crying out of this deep longing and spiritual arousal that he, that he achieved from hearing Rabbeinazal's words, how Rabbeinazal explained what took place. And from that point on, he became very, very close to his brother, to Rabbeinazal, in a true, deep way. With this, we conclude today's shir. Any questions? We should be zeichet to learn about the greatness of tzaddikim and, and, and realize how critical our, our relationship to Hashem requires learning about tzaddikim and coming close to tzaddikim. And be zeichet through this <clears throat> to, to get to, to be able to grow, to, to fulfill our potential in coming close to Hashem and be zeichet to see the Geul Shlema, the coming of Moshiach, the Binyan Bay Samikdash Bimher Biamenu Amen the Amen. There was a question in the chat. There's time okay. still. Let's see if I can see it. Just a moment. I don't see it. Maybe you can tell me. Sure, says here, but in another place, it was ah, it, now it, I see it. Oh, yeah, it's recorded that Rabbein Azal said that Sadik's love for his followers is very great. <clears throat> if it were possible, he would even want them to have all the good of this world. Why is such a difference here? <clears throat> the answer is it's not a contradiction, it's not a contradiction. It's true that the Sadik wants, like a parent, wants their child, a true parent wants their child to enjoy their breakfast and to enjoy their their toy. But a true parent knows the difference between the breakfast and the toy versus that child's future, that child being able to grow up to be able to face the challenges and the struggles that they're going to have to face throughout life in this world, just on that level, and then take it to the next level a true parent who realizes that life in this world is simply a stepping stone for the real future. Life in this world is nothing compared to the eternal life that that we're working for. We're trying to use our time in this world to be able to earn and to be able to be worthy of eternity in the future world. So on one hand, the tzaddik wants us to enjoy our toy and to enjoy our breakfast. But at the same time, that Sadiq wants us to really realize the difference between that versus the, the importance of our neshama, our soul, and soul food, and our, our ultimate future. Oh, yeah.